Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello. Welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettigan. Let's start out the show by thanking the people who became Patreon subscribers this week. <gasps> We had Rose, Ashanti, Marcella, Jennifer, Megan, Rhiannon, Neil, Brian, Jules, Cindy, Amanda, Megan, Mr. Chrissy, 1000, Kellen, Mal, Stephanie, Yolanda, Anna, Tara, Sandy, Yvonne, Rhea, Henrietta, Sherilyn, Diane, Aubrey, Erica and Anastasia. Thanks, guys. Thank you all so much. That's patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. We have a lot of other shows that we do that we record to Patreon. So if you're out of content on the main feed, head over to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Yes. This is part two of our Bobby Womack episode. If you haven't listened to part one, go listen to part one. There's some interesting stuff there. Yeah. Our main source for this episode is Bobby Womack's memoir, My Story, 1944 through 2014. There's a lot in this episode. Great. Now, where we last left off was, it's 1965. Bobby Womack has just married Sam Cooke's widow, Barbara (laughs) Cooke. And people are not happy about it. Yes. As I said last week, the only people that are happy about this union is Bobby Womack and Barbara Cook. Yes. Everyone from his own family to especially Sam's family to just people, people in the industry. People in the industry. They're like, man, what are you doing? Yeah. So... In 1965, Bobby finally caught a break when Ray Charles invited him to come on tour with him as a guitar player. All the suits that the band wore were hand-me-downs. And Bobby talked about in his book, he's like, these suits were pieces of shit. (laughs) But like Ray was like, no, you're going to wear it. These are the suits we wear (laughs) on my tour. And Bobby's like, these suck ass. He should be more grateful, I think. (laughs) No one was hiring. (laughs) Right. Bobby's was a particularly ill-fitting and faded yellowish colored suit. It's the late 60s. (laughs) I mean, you can only imagine the fabric was probably very itchy and not breathable. Absolutely. And I know exactly the yellow. Oh, me too. Yeah. (laughs) He said that even like the ass was falling out of the, like, I think it was patched up in the butt. Right. I don't know who farted that hard in the suit. <laughs> Look, have you ever gone thrifting and like you see some old man's pants? Of course. It's like his whole set's there. And yeah. it's like, he was shitting in these till he hit. <laughs> that happened to me the last time I went to Vegas. I was like, it was like some guy's whole fucking wardrobe and the asses were all fucking stained. <laughs> It's like, yeah, they're nice and vintage. <laughs> a little too vintage. <laughs> so, like I said, Ray insisted. He's like, these are the suits we wear. He said, many great musicians before you have worn these suits. He's like, that's my problem. <laughs> that's what he said. He's like, that's my problem with them. Yeah. I don't know who was wearing this before me. Bobby also remarked in his book on how Ray Charles was always fucking women. Like, he mm. always had chicks. Yeah. I mean, he's Ray Charles. Come on. He said that he, Ray Charles was telling the guys in the band one day about this hot-ass, fine-ass woman that he had been seeing. He's describing her like, oh, she's got these legs and these tits and yeah. blah, 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 all this stuff. And then the woman showed up, and she was butt ugly. <gasps> and all the guys were fucking laughing behind Ray's back. Because he was feeling her body. I guess so. I yeah. mean, he, she was hot to Ray Charles. Look, I'm just saying, <laughs> Ray Charles is famously blind. 
<laughs> so he probably felt her body, which might have been good, right? Maybe yeah. her face was just not you know what? to other people's liking. She was hot to Ray Charles. Good and for that's him. Good, and that's all that matters. And, and this, no one said a word to him. And, th- <laughs> and this woman was fucking Ray Charles. So she's so got a good deal. Good for her. Bobby would leave the tour before it even ended. This was not a good time for him. First, Bobby was scared to death of their mode of transportation between gigs. It was by plane, <gasps> and Ray Charles insisted on flying the plane. Nah, yes. you're joking. I'm not joking. I had. <laughs> wait, to- I'm sorry. Wait, what? Okay, I had to look this up. It's- <laughs> Sorry, that's shocking to me. <laughs> I had to look this up. Like, you got to be fucking kidding me. No. Bobby was like, I don't know if the pilot, like, because there was a co-pilot. So he wanted to do some of it. He wanted to be like, I want to take off this plane and land this plane. But and, someone and else like, was pretty much doing all the work, probably. Yeah, but Ray Charles, you know, he's Ray Charles. So Bobby's like, I don't know if the pilot, if he was giving someone money, like, I would see, he would be up in the cockpit, like, fucking flipping switches. <laughs> so crazy (laughs) and bobby was fucking terrified he said quote i had a tax about that and it was a regular and it was regular a couple times i thought about tipping off the airport authorities tell them man ray charles is driving the plane (laughs) i mean it's scary enough i think as a musician to be flying in those small planes yes right so that just adds another element where you're like and on top of it fate ray charles is is driving this (laughs) The other reason that led Bobby to leaving the tour was because of his roommate. This guy named Curtis had seizures in the middle of the night, and Bobby was tasked with putting a spoon in his mouth when it happened to make sure he didn't swallow his tongue. Oh. Now, Curtis also liked to sleep with the window wide open, and it was freezing-ass cold. And it was just like, yeah, he couldn't handle it at this point. Bobby hated it. All these touring stories always sound so awful to me. From these days in particular, I'm sure maybe it still is. Yeah. It just seemed like grueling work, you know? Touring sounds exhausting, period. Yeah. But yeah, this does not seem fun. So once again, Bobby was frustrated with being the youngest person on tour. He's only 20, 21 at this point. And he just was like feeling like everyone's bitch. Yes. Kind of. Like they would be like, Bobby, you got to... You're the spoon guy. Yeah. You put the spoon in his mouth when he starts seizing. He's like, I don't want to be the spoon guy. Eventually, he blew up at Ray and everyone else on the plane one day. Damn. This was one of the times that Ray was not flying. I was going to say, I wouldn't do it while he was flying. I want to distract him. This is what Bobby said to Ray. Everybody wants to be my daddy ever since I've been on the road. When I was in Sam's band, they all tried to be my daddy. I couldn't get no pussy. I couldn't drink. Now I'm in another motherfucking band and it's the same shit. Ray Charles is my daddy, but no one is telling me what to do. I got to put a spoon in his mouth. I'm freezing to death most nights. And I got a blind man flying the plane. (laughs) Damn, he laid it all out. (laughs) Well, Ray was not happy about this. Yeah. He said... If you don't shut up, I'm going to slap you. (laughs) And Bobby responded, well, if you slap me, they're going to say it was terrible how that young boy whooped that blind man. He never saw the punches coming. (laughs) Ray was really not happy about that response. I mean, that's pretty probably a sensitive topic. (laughs) It's not a nice thing to say. It's not. Ray could not believe the disrespect. And he was like, you're fired. And yeah. Bobby was like, you can't fire me. I quit. Classic. A classic move. And then they had 30 more minutes left on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of a bad move doing that when you're mid-flight. Mid-flight. Because then, yeah. then you got to awkwardly sit like, does anyone want some peanuts? Yeah. Can you pass the <laughs> honey roasted peanuts and pretzels, please? <laughs> a week later, after Bobby had returned home, he called Ray to apologize. Ray accepted the apology, but he was not invited back on the tour. Hmm. And that was actually the last time he ever saw or spoke to Ray Charles. In 1966, Bobby and Barbara Cook had a son, a boy that they named Vincent. Now, he was named after the son that Barbara and Sam Cook had, who tragically died from drowning in their swimming pool when he was just two. Oh. So they named their son together. After this boy. After this boy. Mm -hmm. 
1967, Bobby left his comfortable life with Barbara Cook behind in Los Angeles and moved to Memphis to really focus on his music. He became a studio musician, recording with several different artists like Aretha Franklin, Dusty Springfield, Jackie Wilson, and Elvis. In 1968, Bobby signed with independent label Minute Records. He had been working alongside Wilson Pickett during this time. Although Wilson was an advocate of Bobby's and gave him a hand during his career lull, eventually Bobby would become really fed up with Wilson Pickett and his behavior. Wilson had a violent temper. Bobby claimed that he saw Wilson beat one of his band members with a guitar (gasps) for missing a note. Another incident Bobby described in his book was him and Wilson driving at night with this woman, and Wilson made her get out of the car in the middle of nowhere. Oh, my God. According to Bobby, the final straw for him was when he made the band drive from Baltimore to New York in a shitty truck with no brakes. Damn. (laughs) Wilson allowed Bobby to ride with him in a different car. As this van trailed behind them, or this truck trailed behind them. Bobby recalled seeing the truck crammed full of the band members sliding all over these icy roads. Oh, my God. Because it was wintertime. Wilson apparently said, that's what the emergency brake is for. Emergencies. (laughs) That's scary. So they they were using the emergency brake as the brake, basically. Uh, Yeah. Oh, that sounds horrible. He wouldn't get them another car. Awful. And there was this was just a bunch of different things that led Bobby to be like, I can't fucking work with this guy yeah. anymore. No, he it sounds sucks. like a nightmare. Before they parted ways, Wilson recorded a bunch of songs that Bobby had written. Several of the songs went on to become hits on his album, The Midnight Mover. By this time, Wilson had sang every song that Bobby had, and he still had to record his own solo album. Right. So he was out of songs. He gave them all to Wilson. <gasps> He was out of ideas for songs, and so he started recording covers, notably Fly Me to the Moon and California Dreamin'. Fortunately, these songs were a success. Great. Do you like the California Dreamin' cover? I like both of those covers. They're great. Yeah, they're good. By this time, Bobby was doing a lot of coke. The coke had gotten him through the stress of feeling ostracized due to his relationship with Barbara. He says he was the one who got Wilson Pickett into it as well. Nice. <laughs> what a brag. A total brag. And then Wilson, they he would get in trouble later for cocaine. Wilson Pickett? Yes. Oh, okay. He's an episode. Okay, good. In and of itself. So Wilson and Bobby, they would do a bunch of coke together. They'd stay up for days writing music. Like I said, later in his life, Wilson Pickett, he'd be busted for cocaine possession and struggle with drug addiction for right. many years to come. At one point, Bobby reluctantly helped his drug dealer, Gene, pursue his own music career. (laughs) (laughs) Look, that's when you know you have a drug problem, when you're trying to help your drug dealer get into the music biz. (laughs) Worse, when you don't even want to do it, but you feel obligated to do it. You're you're at a deficit somewhere. (laughs) Like, you're in trouble. Like, (laughs) So... Barbara was really like, yeah, Bobby, just help him. You should help Gene. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Barbara. (laughs) Bobby was really embarrassed taking him around to all these record labels. Like, check out my new protege, Gene. Gene. Gene, the Coke dealer. (laughs) And Bobby said he couldn't sing for shit. He wrote a song for Gene called Got My Nose Wide Open. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear this song. That sounds like a banger. (laughs) Honestly, it does. On top of Bobby's burgeoning drug problems, him and Barbara were fighting a lot. And according to him, they said a lot of awful things to each other. During a fight, he told her how he was only with her because he felt sorry for her. (gasps) It was Sam Cooke who he really loved, and he was just with her for the kids. Bobby was horrified to discover that Barbara had secretly rented, apart- rented an apartment for his drug dealer, Gene. They had been fucking on the side. <laughs> no wonder she supported Gene. That's why she was so supportive of Gene's music career. Oh, my God. Barbara told Bobby, I love you. I was just fucking him. And this is when things in the story get pretty gross. 
According to Bobby, Barbara's 17-year-old daughter consoled him after overhearing a big fight that they had had over the phone. Bobby said he hung up the phone with Barbara and went to bed, but soon Linda Cook opened the door and slipped into his bed. In his book, Bobby says, I swear I told her to leave. He (laughs) He also said, quote, I told Linda that what we were doing was worse. She told me again that we were supposed to be together and that Barbara was too old for me. Then Linda said, she doesn't want you. She's ruining you. At the same time she told me this, she gave me an erection. So he was there for the kids. I'm sorry. Desi. (laughs) Okay, so he's 21 and she's 17. Yes. I'm not excusing. I'm not saying the ages. I'm just trying to clarify that they are almost closer in age than Actually, him and Barbara. No. Okay. Because he was 21 when, when he met. married Barbara. I see. Okay. At this time, Bobby is 26. Okay. So he's much older now. And she's 17. Right. So Bobby and Linda then proceeded to have sex. <gasps> this, said Bobby, is what effectively ended his marriage to Barbara. Really? <laughs> I would think that this would be the end of that. The thing that's annoying to me about this story, and there's a lot that's wrong here, is the way he presents it as as he was just lying there and what could he do? Do you know what I mean? Like Yeah. It's it's like it's even worse because it's a child who's basically his stepdaughter. But it's is like you, his stepdaughter. Is his, yeah, it is his stepdaughter. And it's like, but you hear men use that excuse all the time. Like, I was, she came in, like, and I was just lying there. Like, what could I do? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's such a classic male excuse for having an affair, or uh, this is obviously worse than an affair. Oh, well, and we should clarify that male people who are being pred- predatory, not, yes. not all men, we're not saying all men. No, 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 no. But it's like, it, it, but I don't. I think some men might even use it if they're not predatory, like just thinking like they're just having they're cheaters. Like that doesn't mean you're predatory necessarily. Oh right, right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that kind of thing where I'm like I'm just lying there and it just my happened. secretary came in and sat on my lap or like whatever. Like that kind of mentality is so annoying to me. Like right. and this is obviously worse than just that kind of cheating situation. Right. But it's like I I wish that he like admitted to his culpability here. Like. In his memoir, right? Like, yeah. I mean, in, like we said last episode, our source, our main source for these episodes is his own words. Right. So, so he's giving a very cleansed version of what happened. Like, or do you know what I mean? This like is his, his version, version yeah. of events. And while Bobby does take responsibility for several of his, many of his actions throughout his life, we're still getting his side of the story. Yes. And I, does she ever give her side? I never read anything from from Linda Cook. Okay. Now, Bobby does admit in his book that what he did was fucked up. Okay. Whether he... I don't know if he thought that at the moment, at the time, or if this is him reflecting later as he's writing this. Right. If he was purely thinking with the, the erection that he says that she gave him. But he does say in his book, yes, this was fucked up. Right. Bobby continued to sneak into Linda's room. This was not a one-off. Right. So this became an ongoing thing. But one night, Barbara walked in on Bobby and Linda. Barbara, very understandably, freaked the fuck out. Uh, yeah. She pulled a gun on Bobby (gasps) and said, get the fuck out of my house. Bobby said he was pulling up his pants when the gun went off. (gasps) It grazed his head and he ran out of the house. Bobby and Barbara immediately separated, and their divorce was finalized the following year in 1971. I mean, good for Barbara. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is how you should react when you see this situation happening. <laughs> yeah, that's like probably like the, the most horrific thing you can <laughs> walk in on. I'm just, it's shocking. That it's, this... it's really shocking. I mean, what a, I don't even know what to say. It's so wrong in so many ways. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a wild but I'm, story. But I'm, I'm glad she acted that way. That's nice. Because sometimes women will ignore it. Yeah. I like moms will. Like, moms. Or I don't want to like deal with it or right. something. Right, right. Uh, so yeah. Okay, we'll take a quick break. Hold up. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Bobby hung out with Janis Joplin only one time, but it was when they recorded the song Trust Me that Bobby had written for her album Pearl. During that day, they hung out and they discussed going on tour together. Both artists were interested in crossing over to each other's audiences. While driving together in Bobby's Mercedes, Janice spontaneously started singing and making up the lyrics to what would become her song, Mercedes Benz. While they hung out later that day in her hotel room, they talked about their drug of choice, Bobby's being Coke and Janice being heroin. Bobby said something to Janice that really resonated with me, does he? He said, <laughs> both Coke and H make you feel nothing. But if I'm feeling nothing, I want to be up and not feeling nothing rather than asleep. Hmm. That was me. Yeah. That's why I never got into heroin. Yeah. You want to be feeling I wanted nothing? To, <laughs> I wanted to be a maniac awake yeah. at all hours of the night. Yeah. A few hours after Bobby left her hotel room, he got a call saying that Janice was dead of an <gasps> overdose. Damn. So he was with her. He was one of the last people to see her besides her dealer. Damn. Another story that Bobby tells in his book is hanging out with Ike Turner at his Bollock Studios in Inglewood. Now, Ike, like Bobby, loved cocaine. <laughs> and he had grown real paranoid at this point, he was he would like lock everybody down in the studio with like deadbolts and he had bars on the windows. Oh my god. So it'd be like you can't leave the studio. That's Th- crazy. This is a very classic cocaine psychosis move. <laughs> <laughs> classic. I know from experience. Look, I've never locked anyone in a studio per se, but <laughs> I'm just saying I have been locked in someone's car once. Yeah. For many hours. This is a classic move. I mean, I don't think Phil Spector did cocaine, but this sounds like something he would do too because he had that kind of paranoid uh, nature as well. Yes, Uh, but Ike's was really a lot of it was fueled by his uh, cocaine addiction. Now, Ike boasted that he could drive Bobby and his then-wife Barbara from the studio in Inglewood to their home in Los Feliz in 15 minutes. I mentioned this because this was something that I had a complete, like, flashback to (laughs) for me I used to be able to drive from San Pedro to my place where I lived in Santa Monica in 15 minutes when I was high on coke really maybe that's a coke thing well isn't it not really up to you because what if there's traffic (laughs) well because you're often driving at weird hours right I would be driving at four in the morning right so you're like I can get there in 15 minutes because there's zero cars on the and I'm speeding. And you know what? I would boast about being able to get there from one place to the other in 15 minutes because what you would do is you'd be in San Pedro, you would do a line of cocaine, and then you'd get in the car, and then before the high wears off, you're back to snort the next line. Right. So you didn't have to be on the road coming down. I see. Maybe that's why I boasted about it. And, and are you sure you're accurate? I'm positive. Or does it feel like 15 minutes? No. <laughs> No, I'm positive. <laughs> okay. I, th- that's why it was so remarkable to hear this story. I was like, wait, I used to remember, like, that was like a thing. Like, yeah. I could drive from San Pedro to Santa Monica in 15 minutes. Okay. And it was a thing I regularly did. Anyway, Bobby became close with Sly Stone while he was working on Sly and the Family Stone's 1971 album, There's a Riot Going On. Damn. The album was recorded in Sausalito at a studio, but also in Sly's home studio in Bel Air. Bobby and Sly, of course, partied a lot together down at the Bel Air home. Nice. He recalls Sly staying up for a week on end. And I got to say, Desi, I'm really (laughs) jealous of all these people because they were able to make beautiful music and be very productive 
while on coke. While completely ruining their lives with cocaine. Right. And at least they're hanging out with other cool people. (laughs) I didn't do jack shit. Well, I was a degenerate junkie. Yeah. I didn't do jack shit. No. I mean, if you're going to do it. (laughs) Bobby continued releasing albums in the 70s. Next up was 1971's Communication, followed by 1972's Understanding. Understanding featured the single Woman's Gotta Have It, which Bobby co-wrote with Linda Cook. Whoa. Did you know that he co-wrote that with her? I did not. That's a very horny song. It's very horny, and what a weird thing to write with your stepdaughter (laughs) that you had an affair with. (laughs) I read about, you know, Bobby was talking about, uh, like, his inspiration for the song and sort of the meaning behind it and about treating women right. And how you got to treat your women right. And it was like, okay, I don't know. I don't know about all that. Yeah. The song went on to become Bobby's first number one hit on the R&B charts. That same year, Bobby wrote and performed the soundtrack for the 1972 blaxploitation film Across 110th Street. Now, the single of the same name went on to become one of Bobby's most iconic songs. My personal favorite of his songs. Do you like that song? Of course. I think that that that's I mean it seems like it's most people's favorite Bobby Womack song. I feel like it's it's the one most people know for sure, right? I mean Maybe, yeah. It seems like his most sort of well-known. I don't know. I heard that song for the first time when I was maybe in middle school or early high school and I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, I don't remember when I first heard it. I feel like it's just always been around. Yeah. yeah. That's when I became a fan of, of Bobby Womack. Yeah. Tragedy struck in 1974 when Harry Womack, Bobby's younger brother, was murdered. <gasps> Harry was the titular Harry in Bobby's 1973 song, Harry Hippie. Bobby described him as a hippie, a beatnik, and a real free spirit. Before he was killed, 28-year-old Harry called his brother Bobby to confide in him about the troubles that he was having with his girlfriend. Their fights were bad enough that he said he needed to get out of their home and stay with Bobby for a while. Harry was a wreck at this time. He had been using heroin and was also selling it. The brothers had drifted apart over the years since the Valentinos had disbanded, and Harry was constantly comparing himself to his more successful older brother. He was struggling both financially and emotionally. Eventually, Bobby sent his brother off to start his life over. He gave him a new car, and he got him some new glasses. He had hoped that this fresh start would give him the opportunity to get back into music, hopefully even playing music with his brother again. That day, he got several calls from his brother because he'd gotten lost while driving. Bobby told him, look, let's reconnect when I get back from this gig that I have to go to in Seattle. Bobby went to Seattle and then with his then girlfriend and they fought the whole time. So Bobby has a new girlfriend at this point. Okay. According to Bobby, she was a very jealous woman. After a screaming match, Bobby left the room with the intention to fuck someone else, but it didn't happen. So maybe she had a, a reason that she was Look, jealous. I'm very curious about these women's side of the stories. <laughs> he did pay a sex worker to show up with him at the hotel later just to make her jealous. Oh, man. Later that night, his girlfriend, who according to Bobby was really into voodoo, told him that she had a premonition that Harry was dead. Ooh. And Bobby was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Don't say that kind of shit. The next day, Bobby was doing a radio interview when a call came through. It was his brother Cecil. And Cecil said on the air in the middle of this interview, Harry got killed. Holy shit. They had to cut the interview. They had to like they had to cut the show. Like, uh, we're going to commercial. That's a wild way to break the news to someone. <laughs> like Isn't that wild? Yeah. Harry was at Bobby's house when his girlfriend, 25-year-old Patricia Wilson, went to visit him and bring him some weed. While she was there, she spotted women's clothing, which she assumed belonged to some other woman that Harry was fucking. The women's clothing was actually uh, Bobby's girlfriend's. I mean, it was at Bobby's house. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know what was up with that. Patricia went to the kitchen and got a steak knife. (gasps) 
She walked into the living room where Harry was sitting on the couch, smoking a joint and watching TV. Patricia then stabbed the knife into Harry's neck. Damn. Harry stumbled to the front door with the knife sticking out of his neck and he bled to death on the front porch. Their brother, Curtis, was the first to arrive on the scene. Now, I'm not sure if it was him who called the ambulance, but Curtis sat there with with Harry as he died. Mm. So sad. When the paramedics and cops arrived, the knife was still in his neck. According to Bobby, there were some neighbors who saw Harry bleeding out on the porch, but they didn't want to get involved. And his life may have been saved if people had gotten him help sooner. Following his brother's death, Bobby was in no mood to tour. He was desperate to get out of performing, even though all the money had already been put up. There was no canceling. So Bobby decided to stage an injury in public so that he could get out of this tour. Oh. In the studio one day, he faked a fall and hit the back of his head, and then he claimed to have gone blind. Oh. Now, he did not go blind. (laughs) But he went to the doctors and everything and was able to fake his way through tests. Damn. To be like, yep, I'm, I can't see. The diagnosis of, from the doctors was that this blindness was temporary and brought on by a psychological condition. And Bobby was like, perfect. <laughs> exactly. So they gave him a cane. They put bandages oh over his God. eyes. I can't believe he did this. Yes. It gets worse. Bobby was unable to get out of some of the shows, but he was able to get out of most of them. But okay. he still had to do like a couple... A few of them that there was just while no... pretending to be blind. Yes, his brother. I would love to see these performances. If there's footage out there, please God let me see it. Yeah, his brother Friendly Junior escorted him out onto the stage at Madison Square Garden. <gasps> at this point, Bobby had to commit to the bit. Oh my God, he was in way too deep, Desi. So during this performance, he really played up being blind. Oh my God. He first, when he first got on stage, he bumped into the microphone. <laughs> this is not real. Yes. <laughs> this happened. This is like a bad sitcom. This is such a bad sitcom. He bumped into the microphone. Then he would like, whoa, knock over drinks. Oh he, my God. He was like stumbling around the stage. Bobby says in his book, one of the most embarrassing episodes of the whole embarrassing episode was that Stevie Wonder. Oh, him- my God. <laughs> himself blind almost since birth got to hear about my blindness and came to wish me well he tried to cheer me up told me it wasn't the end of the world and while he told me this i could peep out of the corner of my eye behind all that gauze and see stevie sitting there sympathizing oh my god (laughs) i wonder if stevie ever found out that is so wild like how do you live with your, how do you do that how do you do that i would never be able to do something like that there's the, no way i would be like i'm getting busted in two seconds there's no way i'm getting away <laughs> with this like truly oh my god then there was the incident where bobby was advised by the record company to take some time off and go to hawaii his friend george urged bobby to take his wife with him and show her a good time because he was like i won't be able to give her the fancy vacation but just She's never been. Take her to Hawaii. George. (laughs) What was he thinking? I've never heard of a man saying, please take my wife to Hawaii. Especially to Bobby Womack. I can't believe it. So Bobby, of course, thought that George's wife was super fucking hot. Mm -hmm. So he was like, sure. I'll I'll show her a good time. I'll show her a good time. He was still pretending to be blind. Oh, my God. At this point. And one night, one night, him and the wife, her name was Kathy, were hanging out in the hotel room, and she was painting her nails naked. Oh, they, my God. Wait. This is like an 80s <laughs> comedy. I know. What's the one with, like, Scott Baio? Or Zapped. That, Zapped. <laughs> with Willie wait. Ames. Oh, my God. This woman. So he accidentally stumbles into her breast. <laughs> <laughs> So she's painting her nails and she's naked in the hotel room. And Bobby was trying to be slick, catching glances at her oh when she wasn't looking. But of course he fucking blew it because he was so mesmerized by her naked body. Yeah. And she noticed that he was just ogling her. And she was like, can you see? Oh, my God. And the jig was up at that point. 
and he was like, I can explain. And he had to explain. He's like, I fa- I've been faking because I was sad about my brother. I didn't want to go on tour. Oh so I pretended God. to be blind. And she's like, yeah, but you've been fucking staring at me naked. <laughs> yeah, you so- didn't have to all pretend that hard. <laughs> <laughs> so then she got George on the, ho- on the horn. <gasps> she called her husband. And the husband was like, what the fuck? Like, you've been, you've been, you could see this whole time. You were <laughs> staring at my wife. So Bobby told him the story. And he like was like, okay. Yeah. All right. Enjoy the rest of your vacation, I guess. Now, what Bobby didn't know was that the record company, uh, they had sent a rep out to check on Bobby. Oh. During this time. They were paying for this whole vacation. Damn. Because they, this was supposed to be a therapeutic. Yes. To get him back on, on the road and get him performing again. Yes. So they actually had sent someone out there to monitor him. Oh, boy. He did not know about that. Bobby, (laughs) they (laughs) caught him running down the beach, tossing his cane. (laughs) What? (laughs) And and unwrapping the gauze on his face and like frolicking, clearly not blind. Hey, maybe it just got cured. (laughs) The therapy worked. He's, this is like when they have those videos of people who are trying to scam the insurance companies by saying they have something and they catch them on video, like tossing a big medicine ball or something. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, I can't even walk. And it's like, they show them moving like, they're like moonwalking. They're moonwalking, holding like a 500 bag pound bag of flour yeah. or something. And they're like tossing it over their shoulder. I like that they they happen to catch his most dramatic <laughs> yeah, moment. I know. I mean, that could be Bobby's story, right? This could be him high on the coke. therapy worked. Oh my god! So he was busted. He he went back to the hotel, and they're like, "You have to leave. Your record company has like cut the funds for this trip. They have a plane for you out front. You're going right back to yeah. L.A." They cut that trip immediately. He was busted when. The promoters who had booked Bobby for all of those tour dates that he couldn't make because of his sudden blindness caught wind of this stunt. They were furious and they threatened to sue him. They're like, this is breach of contract. I mean, it's pretty crazy what he did. <laughs> yeah. So Bobby hightailed it to Europe for a while and waited for the heat to die down. Okay. In a move that was baffling to, to the record company, which was United Artists Records, Bobby Womack insisted on releasing a country album. The album was released in 1976 and was called B.W. Goes C&W. Not only was the record company not happy about the creative direction, but Gene Autry was furious when he learned that Bobby would be recording his song, I'm Back in the Saddle Again, but Bobby had changed the lyrics to, I'm Black in the Saddle Again. And Gene Autry was like, oh, oh, excuse me. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, that song didn't get made. Oh, my God. It was like... It sounds incredible. I wish he did make that song. I'm black in the saddle. Incredible. Come on, Gene. Gene Autry. Get over yourself. What a nerd. Total dork. (laughs) So this album was not a success. This seems like it was purely a passion project. He really wanted to get this country out of his system. I think it sounds great. I don't know it, but I want to listen to it immediately. I, I want to listen. The, the cover of the album is is great, too. He's on a horse. So he is black in this He's <laughs> Him and his friends, it's all black cowboys nice. on the cover. It's a, great al- it's a great album cover. I've never heard the music from this yeah, I'm album, but I am curious about it. It was not a critical or commercial success. Okay. They're not expecting a country album from Bobby Womack. No. So... He was dropped by United Artists, but he was was picked up by Columbia following this. Bobby got married again on New Year's Eve, 1975, to 19-year-old Regina Banks. He met her while he was out driving in his Rolls Royce, and he spotted her on the street in Hollywood. Regina, at the time, was working as a waitress at the Holiday Inn. At first, she rejected Bobby's advances. She was like, I have a boyfriend. And Bobby was like, I don't care. Uh, So he kept following her around, showing up at her work, and like kind of bothering her. So he's like in his late 30s now. No, he's 31. Oh, he is? He's 31. Okay. 
and because this is 1975. Okay. And she's 19, and she's like, oh my God, it's you again. Why don't you get lost? Yeah. And Bobby replied, I'm already lost. I'm trying to be found. She was not into it. (laughs) She brushed him off. She's like, I'm just eat your food. Yeah. Literally just sit there and eat your food. This is the Holiday Inn restaurant. (laughs) Right, sir. (laughs) So after he was done eating his food, he says that he waited outside of the restaurant in his car for like hours until she was done with her shift. Then he followed her in his car to her apartment complex. So this is creepy. This is really weird. He then knocked on several doors at the complex trying to find her until somebody was like, oh, yeah, Regina, she lives in 301. Uh, and, and by the way, he was telling about how he not, every, do, every other door he knocked on, people were like, Bobby, Womack, what are you doing <laughs> he's like i'm trying to get some pussy yeah so then he knocked on her door and her boyfriend answered and he was like bobby womack oh my god and he's like yep that's me and i've been (laughs) trying to fuck your girl (laughs) that's basically what he said except it was worse because bobby said yes you are correct sir it is me bobby womack and i have been fucking your girl oh and the boyfriend was like is this true and she was like, no, this guy's been following me around. Yeah. What the fuck? But the boyfriend didn't buy it. And he was like, I'm going back to Baltimore. And he left. What a jerk. Well, <laughs> this poor woman, right? Yeah. So <laughs> Regina uh, did end up falling for Bobby. So her boyfriend, so she literally, she's like, I guess I have no choice but to be with him. <laughs> I guess. I mean, that's how he describes it in his book. I read the article in Jet Magazine Okay, from 1976, their love story, their very fluff mm-hmm. piece. It was a very different story. It was basically like they had run into each other out and about, you know, nine times before right. they got together. Like it was like, so it was like a very sanitized. Yes. Yeah. There was not this creepy following her to her apartment right. and her saying no. It was like, it was love at first sight. Yeah. So Bobby's scheme worked. He bought her a $30,000 engagement ring. Oh, damn. Yeah. But Bobby and Regina would be together for a pretty long time. In 1978, they had a son together named Truth. Now, tragically, Truth died when he was just four months old. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Bobby had woken up Regina in the middle of the night where she was sleeping with the baby. He wanted to show her something in the studio, which was in the back of the house. Regina didn't want to leave the baby, but Bobby was like, he's passed out. It'll be fine. Just come with me really quick. So they didn't spend very long in the studio before Regina was like, I need to go back and check on the baby. But she went to check on him and he was found head first between the wall and the bed after he had crawled up the bed, like to the head of the bed and fallen off the edge. Oh my God. Truth was buried next to Sam Cooke. Oh. Bobby and Regina moved out of their home as they couldn't bear to live in the place where this awful thing had occurred. Six months later, Regina attempted suicide by taking a bunch of pills. While she was in a coma, Regina's close friend David consoled Bobby and was there with him at the hospital. David was a gay man, and for years, Bobby said that he was really prejudiced against gay people, but this was sort of the catalyst for that to change. He even told David, he said, I've, I'm a fucking asshole. And, you know, for all those years, he was really rude to him and other, because I guess Regina had a lot of gay friends and specifically David was her best friend. Not long after, Regina was pregnant again, and it may have saved her life. Their second son was named Bobby Truth. But by this time, Bobby Womack was diving deeper into drug addiction He also descended into paranoia and began keeping a gun on him at all times. His paranoia nearly killed his son, Bobby Jr., when he emptied his gun into his bedroom door late one night after thinking there was an intruder. Oh, my God. But it wasn't an intruder. It was his young son, (gasps) Bobby Jr., trying to open the door. Oh, my God. Now, the bullets went over his head, and he was unharmed, and according to Bobby, pretty unfazed by it. According to Bobby? (laughs) 
but this is a pretty, I mean, that's really scary. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And obviously Regina was like, uh, you're getting rid of every single gun. Like, yeah. how dare you? Both of Bobby's sons, Bobby Jr. and Vincent, got into trouble a lot as boys. Bobby Jr. stole a car when he was 12 years old and he wound up in juvie. The next time he went to jail was during Christmas time when Bobby sent him to the mall to buy presents for his mom and his younger sister, Gina Ree. Bobby Jr. wanted to use the payphone at the mall and he pulled a gun on the guy who was using it. Oh my God. I guess he wanted to like act tough or yeah. something. He was pretty young when this happened. So he went to jail again. And then, was the gun Bobby Womax? No, he bought it himself. Oh, okay. He went to jail a third time after he robbed a thrifty's drugstore. After he got out of jail for that, Bobby Jr. was driving a stolen car and he crashed it into another car, which killed the other driver. <gasps> oh my God. So he went to jail for a very long time for that. For like, I think he was sentenced for 28 years. Was he drunk or? I'm not sure. Because that seems extreme if it was an act. Like, what was his I fault? I think just because he had a record. I see. And whatever. Okay. Yeah. So this it's it's a really sad situation. Yeah. Bobby's 1981 album, The Poet, was a critical and commercial success. You may know this album for the very notable song, If You Think You're Lonely Now, which is on this album. Yeah. Do you like that song? Mm-hmm. Love that song. Bobby continued to release music and have success up until the mid-80s, despite his continuing drug addiction. Also in the 80s, Bobby's younger brother, Cecil, married Linda Cook. Oh, come on. And they were... <laughs> sorry. It's so weird. Wait, is Cecil the one who was with the brother when he died? Uh, that was Curtis. Curtis. That okay. was Curtis. Got it. Okay. So Cecil is the youngest. Okay. Uh, in the Valentinos. Right. He's the youngest. So he marries Linda Cook, and they went on to form a band together called Womack and Womack. Do you know about Womack and Womack? I do know about Womack and Womack. Was her last name legally Womack? Well, she changed it. I see, I see. After they got married. So they had a hit single called Baby, I'm Scared of You. (laughs) (laughs) This is so crazy. I, I feel like I vaguely knew this, but I didn't know who Linda Cook was. Like, I didn't know the whole... Like, I feel like I knew she was Sam Cook's daughter. But you didn't know the I whole... I didn't know the whole thing with Bobby. Right. Because I definitely know Womack and Womack. Yeah. Just because they're more modern, or not really, but like... 80s. Yeah, they're 80s. Yeah. Uh, and I knew that... I think when I first heard of them, I'm like, oh, they're from this family, this musical family. Uh, but yeah, that's right. crazy. Yeah. Um so yeah, a lot going on there. Do people know there's other people in the world? <laughs> like you don't have to stick with it in the same group. <laughs> I honestly wonder how Sam Cook's family members what they thought about Cecil marrying Linda. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's either the most they were pissed or they were just over it by that point. Right. They're like, right? whatever. Like, I can't even. They're yeah. still together. Oh, really? Well, actually, I think Cecil died but, but they, they were together but they were together until his death i believe it was in 2013 okay so you know hey they fell in love yeah they made it work and it's not as inappropriate well they were both adults yeah and but yeah. it's just a little I, weird <laughs> i guess it was his step niece i think and then what happened between him and Lin- bobby and linda should have made her do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I mean, it's I just know. weird, but it's definitely not anything. It's not on of, the level of what Bobby did. No, for sure. absolutely not. In 1986, Bobby's son Vincent committed suicide by gunshot at the age of 21. Hmm. I mean, it's just like I can't even ima- begin to imagine. Like, okay, let me just clarify his children. Vincent is his son with who? with. Barbara. Barbara. Yes. And Bobby Jr., is that Bobby, is that his son with Regina? Yes. Okay. So Vincent is his... Oldest child. Oldest child. Got it. And he committed suicide in 1986 when he was 21. 
obviously this was just another devastating yeah. incident in a long line of devastating incidents that that has happened. Regina left Bobby and moved to New York in the early 90s. They were broken up, but they still remained married and they would remain married for a very long time. Okay. Uh, in 1993, Bobby met a woman named Jody Laba and they bonded over their shared tragedies. Her brother had been killed in a car crash. They fell in love and they had two children together, Corey and Jordan. But their relationship was short-lived, though Bobby said that they remained friends. Bobby did get sober at some point in the 90s. He only briefly mentions this in his book. Yeah. In, uh, in 2012, Bobby was diagnosed with colon cancer, but he did have a successful surgery to remove the tumor. Then in 2013, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Around this time, he had been working alongside Damon Albarn and the Gorillas on his newest album, The Bravest Man in the Universe. They were also on tour together. Bobby told The Sun about his diagnosis. It's not bad yet, but it will get worse. How can I not remember songs I wrote? It's frustrating. The most embarrassing thing is I'll be ready to announce Damon and can't remember his last name. Mm. And then Damon commented on how... Bobby could never remember his last name, and he said, It keeps my feet firmly on the ground. He picks a new name every night. At Madison Square Garden, he called me Damon Arsbarn. <laughs> that was the worst. <laughs> I mean, at least he remembered Damon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in 2014, at the age of 70, Bobby Womack died at his home in Tarzana. Now, his book, I assume he wrote, I mean, it says in his, his book is... 1944 to 2014. I assume he w- he wrote this memoir in the right. last days of his life. Basically, right. it does seem to end rather abruptly, kind of on a bittersweet note. He talks oh. he talks about how he hasn't touched drugs in years or alcohol, and but then he talks about how he also hasn't spoken to a lot of like his brothers and loved ones in many years. Right, it's kind of sad. Yeah, I mean maybe. Maybe someone had to finish it for him. Yeah. Because he probably had written things loosely and didn't tie it up. So maybe someone had to kind of formulate the end. Yeah. I think that 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 may have been what happened in this case. But it is a very interesting book. I mean, there there's a lot of incredible stories just from other rock stars, like his relationships with them at the time, if you want to read it. I really enjoyed this book. It sounds good. And I do enjoy reading the books from their point of view, even though I know it's definitely slanted in their favor, probably. <laughs> it's definitely interesting uh, to hear their version. For sure. Yeah. And you get a lot of intimate details you wouldn't otherwise get. And it's 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 almost, it's just as sort of like um, interesting. Like, like you learn just as much even by their, the way they color things. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's yeah. kind of interesting on that level as well. For sure. So yeah, that's, that's the end of the Bobby Womack episodes. I hope you enjoyed them. I did enjoy them. Okay, good. Well, Bobby. We, yeah. Well, <laughs> we will post some pictures again on our Instagram page. Follow us there at Hollywood Crime Scene. And we're going to go record our after show now for Patreon. Yeah. Bye. Okay. Bye.